You're listening to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Our podcast normally showcases our weekly sermons here in Chicago at 7601 West Foster. Now, podcasts are great, but they do not replace the care and community you receive from the local church or from your local pastor. So we encourage you to come, join our community, or contact us to help you find a community in your area. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you listen. Enjoy. Well, back in 2004, I taught a a three-week class at Moffitt Bible College in Kajabi, Kenya. Uh, It was a full semester class that met every morning for the whole morning, uh, about three hours. The only thing that was harder than teaching a class all morning is sitting in a class all morning. And that was something that we had a class that was comprised of about 25 students. Many of those were pastors. Uh, The rest were preparing to be pastors. I taught on challenges uh, churches face from 1 Corinthians. Uh, We discussed church conflicts over leadership styles, over personalities, over worship preferences, church discipline, spiritual gifts, ordinances, uh, marriage, divorce, singleness. We hit all the key topics that are brought up in 1 Corinthians. Now our first class, I wanted to stress the importance of our role as shepherds. Uh, And so as I began to wax eloquently on the importance of shepherding and also the importance of shepherding as a demanding responsibility, um, all of a sudden the thought hit me that I'm sitting in a room of people that probably have watched and cared for shepherd, uh, for sheep uh, for many years. So I inquired of them just spontaneously. I said, well, how many of you have actually spent time as shepherds uh, growing up? To my amazement, over half the class raised their hands. And I have to admit that I was somewhat humbled because I thought, well, I immediately said, well, tell me, what's it like to shepherd? You know, what's it like to be out with the sheep? I mean, I've, I've studied the books and I've, you know, I've, I've read about stuff and watched stuff on TV, but, but from firsthand, they, they talked about how, how hard a work it is uh, to care for sheep, to provide food and water and shelter, uh, the dangers that they face to protect the sheep from attacks from wild animals, wolves and um, hyena uh, and lions uh, over in Africa, and also as shepherds that would be gone from home for days at a time, out in the heat and also in the rain, they'd have to sleep on the ground. They risked their lives for their family's flock of sheep or the flock that they were hired to watch. I learned so much about shepherds and their flocks from those who had actually done the work. Um, now, most of them had started at a young age, and so they had done it for years and upon years. Now, they commented on the various types of sheep how some were peaceful, more, some were strained, some were hostile, some were scarred, uh, and they had different personalities and behavior tendencies, just like the shepherds had different personalities as well. Now, some of the good, there were also good shepherds who were faithful, loving, caring, patient, and loyal, but there were also some of the bad shepherds, the harsh ones, the mean ones, the uncaring ones, the ones who something would happen and they would just sort of desert their, uh, the flock, they'd abandon them. Well, in our present series entitled Unprecedented I Am, uh, uh, where we've been examining Jesus' seven self-revelation statements regarding his identity and character that included, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, uh, I am the gate, which Pastor Mark preached on last week, the good shepherd that we're going to be looking at today. And then we'll be seeing next week the resurrection and the life and the way, the truth and the life, um, and also uh, the vine. And so those are the seven I am statements in the book of John. Now this morning we're going to consider the I am the good shepherd. In other words, I am your provider and I am your protector from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 21. Now, the most frequently mentioned animal in Scripture are the sheep. 
which are nearly 400 references. In addition, the figure of shepherd is around 100 references. The preeminence grows out of two factors. One is the key role of sheep uh, to the nomadic and the agricultural life of the Hebrew people, and also the qualities of sheep and shepherds that made them apt sources of metaphor uh, for spiritual truths. Now, sheep were a critical part of the uh, Israelite economy from the earliest days back in Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verse uh, 2, where it says, Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Abraham, Isaac, Moses, and David, and Amos were all shepherds. There were shepherdesses uh, such as Rebekah and also the daughters of Jethro. Uh, Sheep represented wealth and the livelihood for people in biblical times. They provided food to eat, milk to drink, and wool for weaving of cloth. They were an essential part of the sacrificial system. Sheep adopted, uh, adopted well to life in the arid eastern Mediterranean, where they just need a minimum of water and food to sustain them. Uh, so it's, it's a crucial part that sheep played in the life of the uh, people in the Middle East. Now, Dr. Kim Oberhauser was uh, from Phoenix Seminary, was at a seminar that he gave, giving the following illustration talking about sheep, but making the comparison to us as people. So the question I have for you is, as I'm reading this list of about seven or eight names that are there, they're all in your bulletins. A few notes are there. I'm going to give you a couple others. But see, what type of sheep are you? Really, what type do you identify with the most? Uh, The first one we see is going to be scintillating sheep. Oh, they emit sparks and sparkle. Uh, Apollos from Acts chapter 18 would be an example of that. They encourage and ignite the fire of other believers and the church leaders. Uh, They mentor other believers. Uh, All churches need scintillating sheep. Now, there's also significant sheep, encouraging. Uh, They're the ones who work well with others. Barnabas is an example of this in Acts chapter 11. The church in Jerusalem sent him out to Antioch. Uh, A revival broke out, so he needed to search for Paul, who we know as Saul at that time, uh, to join him in ministry. They're co-workers on teams. Very important. Schoolable sheep is another one, eager to learn and to be discipled. Timothy is an example of this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Excited about Christ, constantly growing and maturing in Christ-like in character and conduct. They're hungry to know Christ and the Word of God. They're growing, mature disciples, which we are seeking to develop here as a church, and other churches are seeking to do the same thing. Then there's the sweet sheep. They're pleasant, but they're lukewarm. The Laodicean believers here are, they're faithful, but they're not growing. They're nice and they're agreeable, but they're stagnant. It's estimated that 60% of churches are filled with sweet sheep. They're lovable, they're kind, but they're lukewarm. Christ says in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, to the Laodicean church, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. Be one or the other, but do something. Then there are the strange sheep. Those are the wanderers. Uh, they want wandering and they're restless. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 illustrates this. They, they live to please themselves. Uh, they're independent. They're wild. They want more. Uh, they're rebellious. Uh, and these are some of the challenging kinds of sheep that we're now dealing with. Then there's also the snarling sheep. Uh, they're discontent. They're mean. They bite. Diotrephes is one of these in Second uh, and Third John, verses nine to eleven. They're judgmental. They're critical. They're authoritarian. They haven't learned the practice of grace and gentleness and care. They hurt others. The saying it, it said behind every smile is a set of teeth, and some of us know what those teeth feel like. And see, that's what it's like. Some sheep are like that. And then there's the scarred sheep. 
And this is the kind that uh, Dr. Kim actually emphasized in, in, his, in his seminar, where they're hurting. They need love and care. The Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians 2 are described here. They're wounded. They're abused. They need help. Others, they need others to reach out to them. And uh, they're desperate for God's truth. They need healthy relationships. They're gently seeking to be restored. The saying says, don't beat the sheep. And that's for us as shepherds. Don't beat them. They need love and care and concern. So we have to be mindful of how we uh, are approaching uh, different sheep. One of the most endearing images in Scripture is that God is, a sh- is the shepherd of his people. The first reference is found in Genesis 49, verse 24. And then in other psalms they're found. There's also references to his guiding, his protecting, uh, his providing. All of these different psalms uh, cover this in other Scriptures as well. The gathering of his people together in Jeremiah chapter 31. But listen to God's devotion to his people in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 to 16. Observe his actions and also his concern. And this is what he says. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep have been, who have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples, and I will gather them from the countries, and I'll bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and all the mountain on the mountaintops of Israel shall their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture, and they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Listen to what he says next. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring them, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them. Injustice. So the question that we're going to be asking and answering this morning is what is the significance of Jesus being our good shepherd? See, what we're going to be seeing is that God is our good, that Jesus is our good shepherd. He sacrifices his own life for us so that we can become part of his flock and we can follow him. Let's pray to begin with. Father, we do thank you and praise you that, Father, you love us so much that you sent Jesus Christ here to earth. He was born as a baby. He lived, as a, lived into adulthood. And, and Father, he became the, the good shepherd, the one who would lead his people out of Judaism into the truth of a right relationship with you. Father, we thank you for the love and the care that he offers each one of us. And even in that description in Ezekiel where, Father, you're the one who seeks out the lost. You bound up the wounded. You're the one who reaches out and who who, uh, gives direction uh, to those who are wandering. You constantly show your love and your care in so many different ways. Father, we pray that as leaders here in the church that we would have leaders that would live similarly, that we would seek to, to... to reach out to others and, and point them to Jesus, the, 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 the great chief shepherd. And that, Father, as under-shepherds, that we would seek to uh, help draw people closer to you. Father, we love you and just thank you for this time that we can look into your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
What you need to realize is that in, in John chapter 10, Jesus contrasts the true shepherd with the false shepherds. As the true shepherd, Jesus came to seek the lost and to heal the wounded sheep. He seeks to gather his sheep together. In contrast are the false shepherds. They're the religious leaders, in particular, the Pharisees. Jesus states in chapter 9, verse 41, that they were spiritually blind to their own sin. They deceived the people and they led them astray. They came to steal and kill and to destroy while Jesus came to give them life, he came to give them abundant life. Jesus refers to the Pharisees as thieves and as robbers. Jesus informs us that they entered the sheepfold not through the way that God designed, but they climbed in another way. But in contrast to this is Jesus, who is the true shepherd. Uh, Jesus calls us and he provides for us. And we see this in the first 10 verses of uh, John chapter 10. Now, Pastor Mark preached on these verses, did an excellent job last week, establishing that Jesus is the door to the, to the sheepfold. Now, comparing people to a shepherd and his sheep was, a common, uh, was common in the Middle East. Kings and priests often referred to themselves as shepherds and their citizens as sheeps. And I'm, as I mentioned previously, many of Israel's great leaders uh, referred to themselves in the Old Testament as shepherds. In most cities and villages uh, in the first century, there was a central sheepfold. Uh, it was an enclosure whose walls were made of rocks and wood and debris and, and branches. The walls usually stood between 8 and, and 12 feet tall. The sh uh, sheepfold was the commonplace for all the flocks of sheep uh, in the area to stay. This included the local flocks as well as the, those that were just passing through the area. It was not unusual to have several flocks to be sheltered together in the same fold. The sheepfold had an opening for the door, and this is what Pastor Mark was emphasizing last week. A man, a, a doorkeeper, guarded the doorway. Various shepherds would inform him how long they were going to stay, a night or maybe longer. The shepherds would lead their sheep into the fold with other flocks, and then the flocks would intermingle with each other uh, inside the fold. The, the fold protected the, uh, the flocks, and it kept the wolves and the lions and the thieves and the robbers from the sheep. There was only one doorway. The doorkeeper knew the shepherds, uh, and they would only allow those who they knew to come in to, to take his sheep in or out during the course of the day. No one else was allowed to access to the sheep. Now, on this particular occasion, Jesus was speaking primarily to a Jewish um, audience with a number of Pharisees among them. The sheep pen represents Judaism, not the church or, or all Christians. The nation Israel would be the sheep in the fold. Later, when Jesus says that he has other sheep, that's in verse 16, we'll be looking at it in a little while, those would be referring to the Gentile believers, who would then be joining the Jewish believers. And that's what we'll see later on. But it makes sense that Jesus is the true shepherd. He's the doorkeeper. He's the door. Uh, he, uh, the doorkeeper actually could easily be the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the, the door, and the Holy Spirit is many times looked at as being the doorkeeper. Um, and so again, the door itself is the Messiah, and we established this last week. Pastor Marcus Elvis said it would have been Jesus. He's the Messiah, and he's the door into, uh, into the pen, into Judaism, to lead the people out of Judaism into the truth and the relationship with God. That's the significance of what uh, John chapter 10, it's a rich chapter, has great theological truths that, that we want to grasp uh, from here. 
Now, Jesus' words and works uh, were verified that he was the Messiah. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7. We see that in other places as well. But Jesus came to the nation of Israel as the Messiah, the true shepherd of Israel. His life and his ministry confirmed that. Uh, He opened the eyes of the blind, as it says in Isaiah chapter 2. He healed the sick and he freed those who were held prisoners by the chains of guilt and sin. Those who sat in darkness, he brought into the light. That's what Jesus did. He fulfilled what it says in Isaiah chapter 42. Jesus entered the sheepfold through the doorway of the Messiah because he is the Messiah. Now, the thing we have to pick up that we saw in these first 10 verses is, first of all, I'm just going to hit on a couple high points, is that he calls us. Jesus calls us as the true shepherd. He calls us by name, and he leads us. He says that in verses 2 and 3. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. See, in ancient times, the shepherds would lead their flocks into the sheepfold. Then they would sit around campfires all at night because they knew their sheep were safe. And they would share. And then the the question is, well, how would they separate the uh, uh, sheep who were all intermingled? Well, the thing that we have to realize is that the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd. He had been walking with them. He had taken them to different pastures and places for water. He cared about them. He He had helped heal some of their wounds. So they knew the voice. So in the morning time, the, the different shepherds would just call out. And the, the sheep were used to hearing from him. So they would naturally all come together and they would just follow. They wouldn't follow someone else. They didn't trust anybody else. They trusted their true shepherd. And that's the comparison. That's what we're learning about Jesus here. He calls us by name and he leads us. A second thing that we see is that Jesus goes before us and that we are to follow him. That's the response of sheep is to follow those who you trust. And who you, they, uh, who you know care about you. And this is what he says in, in verse 4. Notice it says, when he was brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. And they know his voice. So crucial. They hear and they respond by following. And that's what uh, we see it being emphasized. Because he's the true shepherd. They learn to trust him. Now, that's, when we think about that, about hearing his voice and following him, Jesus truly is the true shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows us, and he calls out our name. Right now, he is calling to each one who's here and they can, they can hear this, either here personally or on, uh, you know, online. He is saying, Sean or Sue or Jim or Ashley, come to me. We're to come to him. He calls us to put our faith in him and to join his flock and to follow him. He invites us to to trust in him. He is God who died on the cross for our sins. He offers forgiveness of sins. Uh, We're to ignore the voices of the shepherds and the sheep from various religions all around us. See, we're to come to Jesus, the true shepherd. He says in his word, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's so crucial for us to understand. Anyone and everyone. And we want to constantly be letting people know. That's why this afternoon at 4 o'clock, there's a a biker blessing right across the street. We've been reaching out to them for about four, I think this is the fifth one. Pastor Sean did it a few times. I've done it a few times. And we'll do it again this afternoon. And we just want to share Christ. And they actually ask us to come in and pray with the people. I was just talking with John Cola. Uh, His kids come to Awana on Sunday night, all because of this established relationship. And there'll be you know, probably about 80 bikers there. And all we're trying to do is share the love of Jesus. That's all I'm trying to seek to do. 
And then they let us pray with them. And a couple of them were killed in motorcycle accidents this last year, and so we want to remember them as well. But it's a time for us to share Christ so that others can hear the voice of the true shepherd. And see, that's our burning desire. Proclaim the truth of Jesus and grow mature disciples for the glory of God. All that we're doing is to lift him up and to edify and exalt him. He calls us by name, and then he leads us out into a relationship so that we are his part of his flock, and then we follow him. But now notice something else we see in verses 9 and 10, is that he delivers us and he provides for us. Verse 9, this is where he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. Dramatic contrast. The false sheep, uh, uh, false shepherds, uh, and they're the ones who, uh, who are uh, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to bring deliverance, to bring salvation, um, and also that, they, that people can experience true life, abundant life, never-ending life, life that begins when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and continues on into eternity, experience the fullness of Jesus at work in our lives and drawing us closer to him through each and every day. Jesus specifically states, I am the door. And that's what Pastor Mark emphasized last week. But see, he is the only way, isn't he? That's what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a lot of uh, false thinking that there are many ways up to heaven or to God. That's not true. There's only one way. Jesus said it's very exclusive. It's only through Jesus. He's the one who said it, and I believe him. Figure. Uh, this is in uh, chapter uh, uh, 10, verses 11 to 13, we'll begin with. First of all, we see that, that he sacrificed his own life for us. That's the sacrifice of a true shepherd, of a good shepherd. Notice he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. See, as the good shepherd, Jesus is willing to die for us. See, Jesus is not only the true shepherd, he now describes himself as the good shepherd. The word translated good means intrinsically good. It's beautiful. It describes that which is ideal, that which is excellent, that which is the very best. It refers to Jesus' excellent character as a shepherd, which is especially evident in his willingness to lay his life down for the sheep. His willingness to die for them, to die for us. Interestingly, Jesus is referred to as a shepherd three times in Scripture. In this verse, John chapter 10, verse 11, he's called the good shepherd with the focus being on his death. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, he's called the great shepherd, which focuses on his resurrection. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, he's referred to as the chief shepherd with the focus on his second coming. So in other words, Jesus is the shepherd of his people. Three references uh, summarize our hope in his death, his resurrection, and his second coming. That's why he's the good shepherd. Five times in this section of, of verses, from verses 11 to 18, Jesus clearly affirmed the sacrificial nature of his death. He says that he will lay his life down. 
And then we see that twice he emphasizes, but he's going to take it back up. Jesus is the one who's in control of his death. He's not killed by a bunch of men who just wanted to get rid of him. No, he laid his life down sacrificially for us. His death is sufficient for the salvation of all people. It is efficient only for those who believe in him and who trust in him. Second thing that we see here is uh, in this section of verses, as the true shepherd, he protects us. See, there's no question that Jesus is the, is the true shepherd um, who cares for and who provides for his sheep. Uh, can you say what David says in Psalm 23? That's the classic section of Scripture about Jesus, about God being um, our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But let me ask you this, is he your shepherd? Do you trust and do you follow him? When you make that decision, it says that he will meet all of our needs. You lack nothing. If you have Jesus, you have everything. That's so important for us to grasp that. Now, let me be honest with you. Oh, there are times that I try to th- put other things that I think will help satisfy and that I want. But God always shows me that's empty, ultimately. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. That's why we're doing this series on the I am's, because Jesus is sufficient. He's everything that we need. If you try to substitute anything else in addition to, you'll see how, how, how shallow it is. Our jobs, our marriages, our families. Now, they're all important, sure, but it's Jesus. He's the one who's fulfilling. He's the one who sustains us. And then we go on and we see the blessings that we receive. When we make Jesus our Lord and our shepherd, we lack nothing. He goes and he gives us the blessings. And that's the rest of, uh, of Psalm 23. He gives us nourishment. Now that's spiritually speaking. He says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He feeds our soul from his word, which strengthens and provides spiritual comfort for us. He gives us restoration. This isn't in your notes, but you can write it down. First one is, the first blessing is nourishment. Then he gives us restoration. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my my soul. See, we find rest in him and cleansing in him. In him we are spiritually restored and refreshed. He provides forgiveness and the peace so that we can follow him. Yeah, I'm excited about this because this is the difference that it makes when you make Jesus Lord in our lives. This is crucial. We receive the blessings of nourishment and restoration and then guidance. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus knows the right paths uh, to bring us home safely, to be with him in heaven for eternity. He will not lose any of us as his sheep. Later on uh, in this chapter, he'll say, no one will snatch them out of my hands. No one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. Why? Because we know that we're secure when we put our faith in him. See, he guides us in the right direction. Part of the reason he does so is because of his reputation. That's why at the end he says, for his name's sake. It's for his glory. It's for his honor. That's, what he, that's why he works as he does. And then we also have protection. Notice what he says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why is it that we don't need to fear evil when we see that death is imminent? It's because you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, this is what it means to make Jesus our, he's the good shepherd, is that he protects us. Even when we find ourselves in trouble, in the valley of the shadow of death, uh, we fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord is with us and he will protect us. He uses the rod and the staff uh, to rescue us and to direct us. Uh, He promises that he'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. Hebrews 13, verse 5. And then the last quality is in the last couple of verses where it's his loyal love. He blesses us with, that's the hesed. That's the, uh, that's the steadfast love. 
He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What he's saying is, is that we will have his loyal love as we, as we abide with him. And that what he's going to do is he's going to prepare a table for us, even in the presence of our enemies. We don't need to fear because he's in control of things. And that we'll have communion with him. And we're going to dwell with him in his house. The Lord's house is his presence here on earth and then also ultimately in heaven. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why, why wouldn't we say he's the good shepherd? We have every reason. He's laying his life down for us. Jesus is so gracious and compassionate. In, despite impending danger, he, uh, he prepares provisions for us in the presence of our enemies. Uh, and that's why he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because that's the hope that we have. Now, in sharp contrast with a good shepherd that we've just heard the description of, who provides and who protects us and is willing to die for a sheep, is the one who works for wages. That's the contrast in these verses with the hired hand. He does not have the same loyalty and commitment. His interests revolve around making money and self-preservation. If he observes a wolf approaching the flock, he deserts him. He abandons him. He's thinking of his own safety. He's not going to protect the sheep. So what does it say? A wolf attacks, snatches the sheep, and the sheep scatter. Well, it's apparent he's a hired hand. He doesn't care at all for the welfare of the sheep. Uh, Over the generations, Israel had numerous false prophets, selfish kings, and false messiahs. God's flock, the Jews, suffered constantly from their abuse. And in Jeremiah uh, and Zechariah and other references are proof of the false uh, shepherds. But Jesus again reminds his listeners that he is the good shepherd in contrast with the hired workmen. He has personal interest in the sheep. He calls us by name and he knows us intimately. See, Jesus is the good shepherd. He calls us by name and he provides for us and then he sacrifices his own life for us. And then thirdly, we see that he knows us and that we follow him. This is what Jesus says in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, and the Father loves me because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What a powerful uh, passage of Scripture right here. See, as a good shepherd, he knows us thoroughly. He has a genuine interest in an, and he develops knowledge of his sheep. He says, I know my own. He has a deep knowledge of each of his sheep and stresses his ownership and also his watchful oversight. He says, my own know me. That stresses that the sheep have a reciprocal knowledge and intimacy with him. I like the words of Professor Edward Bloom. He taught at where I went to seminary, at Dallas Theological Seminary, and this is what he writes. He says, This intimacy is modeled on the loving and trusting mutual relationship of the Father and the Son. Jesus' care and concern is evidenced by his prediction of his coming death for the flock. Some shepherds have willingly lost their lives while protecting their sheep from danger. 
But Jesus willingly gave his life for his sheep on our behalf as our substitute. And then there are verses in Romans and 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Peter 2. Uh, But his death gives us life, eternal life, that comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. It refers to us as Gentiles that we're not Jewish, and that's the audience that he was speaking to, but that we would come to faith in Jesus, and with his, uh, his coming death would bring them into a relationship with the Father. He's, Jesus says, they too would listen to my voice, to his voice, to Jesus' voice. Jesus continues to save individuals as they hear his voice in the Scriptures and from other believers in Christ as they share what Christ has done in their lives. Uh, Their faith in Jesus uh, would lead Gentiles to become members with the Jews in the body of Christ. As Jesus said, there will be one flock and one shepherd, and that shepherd is Jesus himself. People need to know Jesus as their personal Savior. It's not enough just to know about Christ. We must know him personally. We need to trust in him. We need to trust in who Jesus is. He is God. He's God the Son. He came to earth as a baby, grew up to be a man who revealed to mankind what the Father is like. Not only do we need to know who Jesus is, we need to trust in what Jesus did. And that's the gospel. That's the good news. He died on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment, uh, death, and spiritual, uh, spiritual death, separation from God the Father. That's why it says in Romans 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now that's, the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, separation, but we can have eternal life through faith. In Christ, but let me just ask you this: What is the burning desire of of, of our hearts? Uh, what is it? Is it is it to know Christ? Uh, see, that was the Apostle Paul's great passion. He writes in Philippians three verses eight to ten. Listen here to the passion of what is most important to Paul out of all of life. What's most significant? He says, "Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord." For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The good shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. How desperately we need to know our shepherd better and more intimately. Oh, to know the depths of Jesus Christ. Oh, not just coming here to worship him, and that is significant, but we want to know him. We want to know his character, his love, his mercy, his compassion, his holiness, his righteousness. We also want to know his ways and his purposes. Um, The cry of my heart for my life and for all of our lives this morning should be to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That summarizes what what should be the passion of our hearts and what we eagerly desire. See, we get to know him better as we spend time with him in his word and in prayer and in worship, both corporately and privately, in serving Christ and with others. And also, notice this really carefully, in suffering. See, that's right. Our struggles draws us closer to Jesus. We sang about that, uh, in, or we heard it sung about uh, for the offering special. 
But see, we need to recognize our utter dependency upon him. When life seems the darkest, Christ makes his presence known the brightest. And that's the only way to experience it. We get to know him more intimately as we follow him. We live in obedience to his word. And as we live for him every day, every moment of every day, stepping out in faith, living in dependency upon him. When our pain is most severe, his presence with us is all the more evident. See, how did uh, David put it? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. That's the hope and the comfort that we have. In Hebrews chapter 13, again, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Now, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I have a younger sister, Sue, who has been walking through the valley of the shadow of death for some three months now. It's been, the, it's been an extremely painful journey. She has endured incredible pain from her uh, stage four pancreatic cancer. It was diagnosed right away. A lot of times it's really developed by the time they finally catch it. So it's spread to her various organs and also to her bones. Ben, her husband, is a medical doctor, and along with her, their, her oncologist, are helping manage her pain as best as they can. She's had two rounds of radiation, four rounds of chemotherapy. Her goal is to attend her son's wedding on, Mon on May the 29th, a week from today. When she first was diagnosed, nobody gave her any hope of making it three months. Nobody did. But we've been praying as a family, and many of you have been praying, and, and other uh, people that know Sue, her home church in Texas, uh, has been praying for her, and, and God has sustained her. Well, it hasn't been easy. It's been painful. But her desire is to know Christ. To summarize her whole life would be, for me to live is Christ. And I see that in her. And over the last number of years, she's had her ups and her downs like all of us do, some really struggles. But her, inwardly, I know that she's, she's desiring to know Christ. And as I talk with her on Zoom, and I'm looking forward to seeing her this next Friday or Saturday, we'll see her before the wedding, uh, I'm just longing to just be with her. The times that we've Zoomed and talked on the phone together, uh, and I went out to see her about a month ago, uh, along with my rest of my family out there as well, but, but what, what a blessing it was to just to, to sit and talk with her and realize that before our very eyes, she's being transformed into the image of Jesus. Her whole desire is to know Christ. Oh, when she goes to be with Jesus in heaven, she's going to be right at the throne. I'm just hoping that where my section is, which is going to be way back, I just hope I have a monitor. I can see what's going on around the throne. I really just hope for that because I see something in the depth of, of her walk with Christ that I long for. It's to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings, even his death. See, that's what life is all about. I would just pray that we would have that longing to know Christ, to focus on who he is and all that he has done for us and all that he offers us. And that's what we see as the whole purpose of life is just to, to create that longing in us to be with him for eternity. We experience, we experience it in part here on earth, but ultimately in heaven we'll experience that to the fullness. What I see with my sister Sue is as her outward body is decaying, her inward person, her soul is growing stronger as her life is being more and more conformed to resemble that of her Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. 
Well, so far what we've seen again is that the good shepherd knows us and, and we know him. And then also we see that as the good shepherd, he died voluntarily, but he rose victoriously. In our passage, Jesus again predicted his death five times, that he would lay, voluntarily lay his life down. And it says uh, uh, twice that uh, he would, uh, actually three times that he would raise it up. Uh, Jesus predicted that he would take up his life again, he'd be resurrected. Um, I like what one person wrote, Warren Wiersbe, his voluntary death was followed by his victorious resurrection. And that's the hope that we have. What we need to recognize is that he voluntarily yielded up his spirit to his father. It says, it is finished in John 19, verse 30. Three days later, he voluntarily took his life up again as he rose from the dead. But how did his listeners respond to his teachings? Once again, there, there was controversy. And we can, we can expect that. He, Jesus causes division among people. And that's what it talks about in verses 19 to 21. There was division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Those are the ones who opposed him. They rejected Jesus. But there are others uh, see, many people write off Jesus, refusing to even listen, but others believe. I uh, notice what they said. They said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon, in verse 21. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That was a specific characteristic. Only the Messiah could help the blind see. And that's what we see taking place here, is that they recognize, hey, a demon won't open the eyes. He must be the Messiah. And so that does indicate faith. That's why Jesus asserted, I am the door of the sheep. See, we would expect division because a door shuts people in and it shuts people out. Jesus also said, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, those who must separate the sheep from other sheep and from goats. There's a separation. Jesus, by his very character of being the door and being the shepherd, alienates some people. People, some will believe, some will reject. That's what it's all about. So then the question comes to us. How do we respond? How do we respond to this significant uh, truth that Jesus is the door, and he's also the good shepherd. See, what we need to realize is Jesus is the true shepherd he, versus the false shepherds of various religions. Jesus is the good shepherd who died and rose again for you and for me. Um, it is not enough just to know about Jesus. We must know him personally and have our faith in him. See, Jesus really does meet the deepest needs of our lives. So the questions that we just conclude with this morning, what hurts and fears do you have? Life is hard. It's filled with pain and problems. To whom are you turning? See, you need to know the good shepherd. He knows you and your problems, and he cares for you. He'll help you. But then also, the second question, how are you responding to Jesus' voice? Stop ignoring. Stop disobeying him. Come to him. Open your heart. Admit wrong and the pain. Be forgiven and, and healed. But follow him. Spend time with him each day in prayer and in his word. Seek to please him with every thought, word, and action. Ask him to direct your life. Give him full control of your life. Hold nothing back from him. And then lastly, what difference has Christ made in your life? Can others observe any difference that Jesus has made? What do you think about? Pure and wholesome things? What do you, how do you talk? kind, helpful, encouraging? Where do you go and what do you do? How do you treat others? Every relationship should be affected when Jesus is at the center of your life. See, Jesus is our good shepherd. Experience his love and his care. Trust in him and follow him. Father, we thank you that you're the gracious God who helps us in all situations in life. 
Oh, Father, that we would long to know you more intimately and deeper. Father, that we would have that longing to be with you and to draw close to you and to realize that Jesus truly is the good shepherd who protects us and provides for us and leads us and heals the hurts in our lives. You do that all for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.